Welcome to episode five of Curiosity Killed the Rash. Ooh, we did it. Yeah, episode five. This thing's still going. It's exciting. Um, this is a science podcast where we just chat science shit and it's good fun. I'm Kate. Uh, I study neuroscience. I'm Matt. I do the sounds. I make the audio. I oh no. I feel like our intros get more awkward each episode. God, what's I... it going to be by like episode ten or fifteen or something like that? It's just going to be us screaming into the microphone like, with no Hi, substance. I like science. <laughs> Hello. Oh. Ah! And then that's my representation of sound. It's okay, sorry. I'm going to stop and be serious now because <laughs> it's not just us two here today. We actually have we have another guest, which is really exciting. Benji, the astrophysicist or astronomer. You want to be astronomer? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to play by your rules. They're the same thing. Apparently so they're the same thing. Astronomy and astrophysics. There's actually no. All of the like journals are like some of the, like. Journal of Astronomy and Astrophysics, some Journal of Astronomy, some Journal of Astronomy. They're all talking about the same stuff. Interesting. It's actually weird. So, like, the definition of astronomy slash astrophysics is um, studying anything that's not in the Earth. Right. But also astronomers study the Earth because it's a planet. So it's anything <laughs> that's not in the Earth or the Earth if you're studying the Earth from the perspective of someone who's not in the Earth. Right. So, I don't know, but I work a lot on um, satellites and... Uh, Simulations, space oh. explosions. Those are my oh. kind of areas of expertise. Space explosions. That's, That's really cool. Really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought you'd be excited for this yes. one, Matt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. I could hear it from like the uh, the pot, the bushfires one. You just got really, you just started riffing on like how great astronomy was. And I'm like, ooh. It is <laughs> the best science because it's the science of um, just like literally everything else. Like, yeah, I'm outnumbered <laughs> two, two to one here. I, I, You're I outnumbered still think by the, the entire science, universe, but... mate. <laughs> because I mean, that's all cool. of astronomy. Brains are cool, but you know, he, you guys can love space. I also love space. Like, that's also interesting I mean, who me. doesn't love space? Name one person that doesn't look at space and be like, the fuck, you know? Like, probably a lot of people, actually. I have a friend who's got, like, a space phobia. There you go. They're oh. just, like, too big, too scary. Like, some people are afraid of the ocean, too big, too scary. Space is bigger. I, I wouldn't want to go on a rocket ship. Like, I don't like aeroplanes. Can you imagine sending me into space on a rocket ship? Well, I mean, like, that's there's like a difference between phobia. appreciating something and wanting to be, like, a part of it and in it and that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Can you imagine sending Kate to space on a rocket ship? No, Ooh. I want to go to space myself. She ain't taking Okay, that. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the yeah. kind of person that if, like, a one-way trip to Mars came up, I would... I would just put my hand up without even thinking Jump about up it. Straight away. Oh, really? yeah. 100%. I miss you. Don't go to Mars. That's all right. Skype's a thing. We'll zoom. From, from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> to Nebula. Anyway, what are you going to tell us about today, Ben? Yeah, what do you want to know? <laughs> I've got a topic prepared. <laughs> sure. Are so. you ready to hear it? Because I have I have nothing prepared. So uh, I'm ready to hear I don't know what we're talking right, about either. Bro. Okay. Are you excited? I am excited. So, so, so excited. All right. Today we're going to be talking about. Dun, 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 drum roll. Simulations. Oh, 
I should be excited, but just the word simulations alone is kind of like, what are we simulating? Like, I can simulate robot voices with my voice. That's (laughs) that's that's really interesting. That's the first example I thought of. (laughs) That's cool. What sort of simulations are we talking? Like space ones, obviously. Yeah. But I don't know what that means. What do you you mean? You don't know what is a simulation? Well, like, I know what a simulation is, but like... Well, I mean, I was telling you guys, like, just before we started recording this, that, like, I'd been spending these last few days just re-watching a bunch of Rick and Morty. (laughs) And the episode that I literally, like, just finished watching before I jumped on the phone was um, the, the the M. Night Shyamalan one where it's uh, all about being in a simulation in a simulation. So, oh, you know, you're living in a simulation. Is it that sort of simulation? Inside a simulation. Like a simulation. Inside another simulation. I don't know. I just figured that, like, um, the thing that most people don't know about astronomy is, well, they kind of do, but they kind of don't think of it. It's really hard to do experiments. Like, it's really hard to uh, build a star and see how it evolves and watch it collapse. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't know how to build a star. No, you, you, need, you need a lot of gas. <laughs> you need a lot of time. We don't have we don't have the gas. Um, I don't know, I'm vegetarian. I ate a lot of beans. <laughs> still not enough. Stars not enough. are real big. Okay. Um, Noted. Real big. Um, so, yeah, instead there's, like, um, three kinds of astronomers. There's, like, the theoretical people who are all your astrophysics, big whiteboards, solving equations, figuring out, I don't know, what would a gravity wave look like? How would we detect it? There's and your that's observers. That's what you do. There's observers who kind of like um, lo- look at stuff and like, here is a star that exists. What can that tell us about stars? Mm-hmm. And then I'm more of a simulationist. So I spend a lot of time building hypothetical models of things that could or could not exist, comparing them to observations, comparing them to theory, and trying to like bridge the gap that mm-hmm. like you get when you can't actually do real experiments. Hmm. Yeah, because I like I have thought about that before, like. How can you, how do you design experiments for something? Like, my experiments are easy to design. I work with rats and I can make them physically do stuff. But you can't really do that with stars. No, you can't. So, basically, um, I thought I'd bring in, like, a pet example just to play with, just to see how we're... Uh, yes. So, like, yeah, generally you do ex- uh, a simulation when you can't either afford to um, build a real version of the experiment mm-hmm. or it's unethical or it's really dangerous mm-hmm. or it's just impossible. So I thought, let's say, if we wanted to figure out, um, let's do the experiment, what would happen if we had, like, a real-life Noah's Ark? Mm. Like, if you built a big boat out of wood Uh and put two of every single animal in the earth on this boat, waited 40 days, who would survive? (laughs) I mean, I don't see the issue Yeah, right. Definitely not ethical. Definitely (laughs) not affordable. Definitely probably not legal. (laughs) So instead, we've got to make a simulation, right? Okay, no, that's that's fair. So when you're designing a simulation, the first thing you want to do is figure out as much about the thing that you're simulating as you can get. So for this, we'd probably want to know what are, what are the food chains, what do each of the animals eat, um, how long can each of them fast for, maybe what the relative speeds of each one is. Uh-huh. Then basically, we kind of like get our computer, code that all up, make like a sort of rules-based inference model. So maybe like you've got... Your arc, you've got that as the kind of map where all these animals are kind of like sitting on. They're mm-hmm. walking around. They're chasing after like each the other. It's like The Sims, but it's a boat. It's The Sims, but it's a boat. Um, so usually when we do simulations, we try to like abstract out as much detail as possible. So with Sims, they try to make him realistic. They're giving them arms and legs. They're having them walk around and stuff. I just had this realization that like Sims is short for simulation. 
Yeah. Is that a thing that everyone else has realized long before now and I'm just like very late to the game? Well, here's the thing. I knew that, however, I may have only realized it about a month ago. So you know, <laughs> you're not completely alone on that one. I feel a little bit better. But... No, this is great <laughs> for listeners. She's oh. just beetroot blushing right now. <laughs> Man, that's that's not good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Whoops. Okay. Yeah. Continue on. Sims, so, are, the, Sims are a simulation, a simulation. <laughs> of, of real life. Continue. Of real estate. I don't know what they're a simulation of. I don't know. A uh, simulation of life. Just life. Life. Yeah. For a lot Living of people just life. outliving their own sadistic tendencies and that sort of thing. That's true yeah, because sure. it's illegal or too dangerous or too expensive exactly. to create the dream lives to and own houses. A house. In real life, <laughs> yeah. if yeah. you have a door, we were didn't all have born. a ladder there, tried to you kill know. everyone, that's frowned upon by most people. I do it on I a computer. I was going to say because we're I, all like millennials, Gen Zers, we can't afford a house or a family or oh, a life. Um, <laughs> so we have to simulate it instead. Oh no. And that's why Sims are so popular among our generation. Shit. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, Fantastic. Yeah. Benji, continue. Sorry so, yeah. for that interruption where no, it's I realized all good. I that love I am it. the dumbest human on the planet. No, this is fantastic. It's great radio. <laughs> yeah, so you've got, I'd imagine them as being like little little dots, little like checker pieces that just kind of chase after each other. You've Are got these the, little animals? Little in animals. The, in the boat? In yep. a boat. Okay. Kind of like checker pieces on your computer. One's running away, one's running towards it. Mm-hmm. And then you you can let it run for 40 days and then you can see what the outcomes are. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you start with all the theory that you know. You create this imaginary world, you let it run, you see what it makes, and then you compare it to observations, which is probably hard for the Noah's Ark example. (laughs) It's not like you just see a big old ship pull up on the coast of West Australia and like a couple of tigers and a bear walk out. Like, (laughs) hmm. I don't know, Matt. Free will get some interesting. uh, I don't know. We get a lot of cruise ships come through with some like real interesting characters coming off it. Yeah. Some interesting tourists that I wouldn't hesitate to call animals. Similar vibes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The next part is like, because you've already built this, you can then run it again and again and again. See how things change. Maybe you want to like cater for the herbivores on the ship. You just throw a bunch of hay in there. See if that changes the outcomes of what's going on because herbivores exclusively eat hay yeah i don't know you can you can speak for that as a vegetarian you only eat hay yeah i only eat hay man Um, how good how good is hay are you eating things other than hay matt is that what you're telling me yeah as an omnivore i also sometimes eat i don't know (laughs) other smaller omnivores (laughs) (laughs) correct so you put hay in the boat yeah and then we might want to see how that changes the outcomes of like you know because they don't really specify do they how much, how they feed the animals on the ark. No, they just kind of vibe. Magic. They just kind of hang out, I suppose. They, they just kind of hang out for 40 days and 40 nights and then however long extra they're chilling on the boat before the rains kind of fall away. Mm. It's, it's been a while since I've read that particular Yeah, uh, I was going to say, section. I will say this for the Bible. I won't say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not out here to bash the Bible, but... They wouldn't pass the rigorous scientific peer review testing of the, like their method section. They they don't go into enough detail in their method section about how the animals were fed. That would not pass peer no. review, rigorous scientific peer review. Sorry. Um, <laughs> just hang out. Not enough detail. <laughs> Let's just. <laughs> okay, jumping back into it. Yeah, you asked me a, sim- a question before. You're like, what even is a simulation? Yeah. So you're you thought robot voice and then The Sims. Uh, Matt, when I say simulation, you thought Rick and Morty, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a VR world, something like that. 
Um, but I guess if I had to like think about it a bit more in the context of what you actually do, I can imagine like um, just a simulation is just a thing that predicts things, right? Because I yeah yeah. So um, I think of it as my favorite personal analogy. Did you ever see that episode of Futurama where they had the what would happen if machine? No, I didn't. No, sorry, so I good. Um, so basically, the professor like invents this "what would happen if" machine, mm. and then the whole episode is just a vignette of all the different characters. And like Bender's like, "What would happen if I was ten feet tall?" Presses the button, and it shows like a short thing about Bender being ten feet tall and fucking shit. Oh, that sounds like a fun um, episode. It was a fun episode. That's cool. But yeah, so that's kind of like the way I use a simulation is more like, okay, we don't really know the physics of what's going on in these stars. We just see the stars or how they explode and we can just see like what that looks like so then what i do is i kind of like okay if we had this physics what sort of galaxies would we see having these sort of stars what if we had this physics what if we had this physics and then i can you know match those things to what we do observe and say well what we observe best matches this physics so it's probably this physics Mm -hmm. it's just like really specific and complicated um, what are they called? I don't know, like calculators, I guess. You know, you just give them. <laughs> no, there's, Wait, a, there's, there's like, something. No, I'm ready. Go on. No, no, there's, there's a word that I'm looking research. for. It's not calculators. I just can't get it in my brain at the moment. Simulators? Where you feed it a certain, like, amount of parameters and rules and, al- I guess, uh, like a program, an algorithm. It's an algorithm. Yeah. It's Program's just great. a really Algorithm's sophisticated great. algorithm where it's like, hey, if. If you give it X, run X through X times this, plus this, plus this. These are the possible rules. It runs it through that, and then you see what happens to X after it goes through those parameters, you know? Yeah. But it just does that with a lot of different variables, with, like, your various rules for different physics. You know, what happens if it gets dropped? What happens if it gets hit by something else? What happens if it gets heated up, cooled down, gets bigger, gets smaller? What happens within these pre-established rules of the algorithm or... The, the universe, I guess. But This is really good. So I've actually got a definition in front of me because I thought I do. Thought I should bring one in a little bit. <laughs> thought you should bring up some, yeah. No. Yeah. So like there's a few different ones. Some are more loose than others. So like the loosest you can get is like, it's the use of computers to model things. Mm. So mm-hmm. just, you know, anything. But then it's like some people are like, no, because then if you have like an equation and you make a computer solve it, is that, that's not really a simulation. It's mm-hmm. technically a model. That's a calculator. Computer. Yeah. As per. So then like the next level is like, okay, it's using a computer to model things with rules-based inference, which is the thing that we were talking about before. before. That's a term I've not heard before. What does that mean? So it's like exactly what you were saying. Like there are rules for what happens based on what the last thing was. So like maybe in my um, Noah's Ark example, the rule is if an animal sees an animal that it's prey, it'll head towards it. And maybe my other rule is, like, if an animal is prey and it sees a predator, it'll run away from it. Right. Gotcha. And so from that, you can infer that if a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of animals that eat each other, if a tiger sees, uh, what do tigers eat? Zebra. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If a tiger sees a zebra, it'll run towards it in your, and and so you can infer that based on the It'll be really, really chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how they house these animals. Are they, like... Well, I mean, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the Ark was free range. (laughs) I mean, they were probably all, like, caged or at least barn fed, you know. You'd hope. (laughs) Yeah. So then, yeah, so it's using the computers to model things, rule-based inference. Usually they do it to things that can't be actually solved with maths. 
So I don't know. Mm-hmm. The most famous example is there's something called the three body problem. Have you heard of the three body problem? I have not. Okay. So basically, if you got um, the Earth and the Sun, mm-hmm. and you just let them free fall, let them orbit into each other, if you know where they're starting off and you know how fast they're going, you can predict their orbits for the rest of time. Yes. Yeah. If you do it with the Earth, the Sun, and a third body, so if you're doing Earth, Sun, Moon system, yeah. and you start it all off, and you let it all go, you know their initial positions, you know their relation velocities, maths can't do it. Maths cannot predict where these three things are going to be for the rest of time. Because chaos, right? Because, yeah, lots of chaos. Yeah, There's no, like... I think I remember seeing it in, like, a V-Source video a while ago. The, the <laughs> diagram they had was, like, the the swinging pendulum thing, and then they added, like, another arm off the end of this pendulum and then released it, and then that extra spinning element of this made the the actions of this pendulum too unpredictable and too chaotic that it was, like, impossible to predict. Yeah, and so that's... The thing that you did look at was a simulation. Oh. It wasn't a solution. <laughs> But it was uh, someone pretending that it was happening, doing little rules for like what's going to happen next at each time step, Mm. maybe a bit of randomness, seeing what happens, and then looking at how it changes the time. True, because I guess a simulation doesn't necessarily have to be done by a computer or anything like that. You could have analog simulations, so to speak. Oh, that's interesting. But mm, then is it no longer a simulation? mm, Is it then a a replication? Because, uh, like, for it, example, uh, another one that could come to mind, you know, that old classic physics experiment of, um, you know, it, it's a bit fucking extra and dramatic and that sort of thing to demonstrate um, conservation of momentum where the physicist stands on one side of the room and they have a bowling ball on a string oh, yeah, and they that. hold it up to their face and they let go yeah. and it swings out and swings Terrifying. back. But unless they push it, it won't hit them in the face. You could yeah. say that's... Is that simulating conservation of momentum or is that just demonstrating? I feel like that's just is, demonstrating. A, no, is a demonstration that's just demonstrating. different from a simulation though? I think the thing that makes it a simulation is that you've got something representing something else. So like in my Noah's Ark example, all of these, I don't really have animals running around in there. Mm. I just have little objects that follow rules and behave like animals. Well, so then is a simulation just defined by what you're saying these different parameters represent. So do you know the things that you see in shopping centers some, sometimes where it's like the, the, the well and you like spin your coin around it and it goes round and round and round and round and round and round until it eventually falls down like a whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are being like, hey, this is how gravity works. This is what planets are like on an orbit. So is that no longer a demonstration and now a simulation of what orbits are like simply because they've defined it as, hey, yo, this a planet, and that's a, that's a gravitational center that it's going towards. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it's getting really philosophical. Are we, are we happy to take it there? Are we ready to keep going down this weird Let's philosophical rabbit hole? I mean, like, if that's the way the coin's falling. Oh, great. Hey. Okay. Sweet. We're doing it. Um, yeah. Um, so there's, like, certain ideas in philosophy. When it comes to, like, defining things, right, mm-hmm. definitions are hard. So often, like, things will define things in terms of their relationships to other objects. So if you wanted to define a cow and you were, depending on what you were doing, you might say a cow is a four-legged mammal that eats grass. And as long as you've got the eats grass part of thing, you can get a grass-eating simulation going pretty well. So with your, with your whirly thing in the supermarket, 
You might have the object in the middle being something that's giving a gravitational force, the object in the outside being something that's slowly like orbiting down into it. You've got those two parameters down. You can define like sort of that as being the object falling in and that as being the object that's sucking things up. And that kind of works, right? Mm. Like um, for the purpose of the simulation, as long as you've got the relationships between the objects right, it doesn't really matter what the objects are. Even though it's like real gravity that's causing it like it's not a but gravity isn't simulated in that situation like gravity is literally what's pulling the coin down yeah it's real gravity you're using gravity to simulate the gravity yeah yeah but it's not so you're simulating the <laughs> it's not gravity simulating necessarily the exact gravitational pull of earth which is what's being implemented there that's earth's oh, gravity being used to simulate gravity like as gravity a concept and how it warps space-time making like a well in it at least that's my understanding of it mm. yeah yeah no that's a good point it's yeah would that count as a simulation i think it does yeah because i've heard like the Very other example folks. like um if you wanted to simulate uh sand castles sand piles um uh-huh. one thing you can do is just drop like um die on top of each other and they'll kind of like avalanche um uh-huh. So you can kind of like make up rules-based inference models for that. Like if you've got four die in a stack, they scatter, giving one die to each of the squares next to them and that kind of stuff. Hmm. So like, yeah, there's a lot of examples where you can kind of like use something else to represent something else. And whether it's real or in a computer may not matter. There we go. I think there we answered go. the question. So yes, I guess analog simulations only took us, what, 20 minutes to get to <laughs> the definition of a simulation. <laughs> Analog definition. Analog definitions. What am I saying? Analog simulations exist. Yeah, sure. Why not? Hell yeah. Now tell us what you do with your simulations. Presumably you digital, or, I don't or know. analog. Analog? No, I'm all, or, I'm all computers. No, I know. I mean, like, we've defined a simulation. Yeah. So What's... for me, it's um, what I kind of work with is really cool. It's basically there was a team out of Germany who've built basically a model of the universe, mm-hmm. tracking it from from when it was a, a hundredth of its size now, mm-hmm. the universe is expanding, to the present day. And so basically they've tried to get as much physics as they can in there. They've got like how stuff clusters, dark matter, dark energy, how galaxies evolve, how merges work between galaxies, um, how stars explode, how that like blows apart gas and stuff. They've tried to make it as real as possible with the idea that... Um, you can kind of treat this as sort of a virtual observatory. So, um, uh, basically, when we look at the universe, most space is big. Space is big. Space is Most things are far away. Mm -hmm. So even like big things like galaxies, they just look like specks. We can't know much about them Mm -hmm. without doing some really serious science. And even then we can only get like maybe one or two numbers from it. Mm -hmm. With a simulation... Depending on its resolution, you can know the past, present, and future of every single star, gas particle, molecule. Matt's face right now is just, like, lit up like a kid that's walked into a candy store. That's because it's cool, okay? <laughs> it's really cool. really cool. I wish this, this was a video medium, uh, just an audio medium, and the, the world could see your face right now because it was just, like, this starstruck kid. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh boy, that's super cool. What um what um percentage of um astronomy would you say is simulation versus observation? So like um there's a lot of challenges for simulations, I suppose. Um 
For challenges for observation, uh, literally, like what we mentioned, if something's really dim or dusty or distant, then it's hard to see it. Mm -hmm. And also, like, you know, there are different ways to measure certain things, and depending on which calibration you're using, you might get answers that are, like, twice as big or twice as small. That's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> um, with simulations, the problem is more, like, in what we put into it. So... Um, are we sure that this is how this sort of physics works? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like how much of, because there would be a lot of sort of factors that would go into generating those rules for your simulations, but do, do a lot of those rules come from previous simulations? Like are you just, no. you so, know, like, maybe. Okay. You know, how, how much <laughs> are we working off assumptions that may not be correct? Yeah, um, we're definitely making assumptions that may not be yeah. correct, can confirm 100%. Um, but the other thing is, like, we're getting better. So, like, um, people keep... God, I hope so. <laughs> people keep making new simulations all the time. Um, but, like, yeah, so some of it is observation. Some of it is from other, like, smaller, more zoomed-in simulations. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you want to simulate the universe... You're not going to be able to simulate every single star in the universe. Damn. There goes my weekend plans. <laughs> yeah. You can... So, like, at the moment, the simulation I work with a lot... Uh, shout out to Illustrious. Shout out to the Illustrious team. <laughs> shout out to Illustrious TNG. Stands for the next generation. Not joking. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. So, it can only uh, get resolution boxes of down to about um, a million stars. Is that small? Is that big? I don't know. Okay, um, let's do a sensible scale. Um, the Milky Way galaxy, okay. the one that we call home, yep. our bestie, um, that's got about, uh, let me just convert, 100 billion stars in it. Oh, right. that's many. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we use big, round, squishy numbers like that all the time. Oh, um, that's intimidating. <laughs> No, nah, it's good because um, the bigger the number, the less precise you are with it, really. Yeah. So when I say 100 billion stars, I don't know if it's 50 billion or 200 billion. Oh, uh, what's half? Well, really what's, what, what's a few bill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> something really freeing about astronomy in that way because we know almost nothing about mm. anything. We don't really care about the details too much of something. Yeah. Like there's no star accountant out there who's like, mm, you're five stars short. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so different to my area of research where everything is just, like, so precise. Yep. Like, I'm measuring out, you know, five microliters of a drug, and it's just, like, you can't even eyeball it's that. It's got to be 5.0, doesn't like, it? Can't be 5.1, are you? Yeah, no, you exactly. Cooked? It's, it's yeah, that's wild to me, just being like, oh, yeah, I could be a couple yeah, billion fucking... off. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's all the same, okay. really. Anyway, cool. so, yeah, for, if we wanted to simulate the Milky Way in Illustrious, we'd probably be able to... Cut it into 10,000 pieces, roughly. Mm -hmm. And the simulators, there's like a whole nother field of these hardcore coding guys who are all about um, making a task like this manageable for a computer. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you do is like in more dense regions, when there's more stuff, you have more resolution. And mm -hmm. in less dense regions, there's less resolution, which Makes is sense. like a really clever way of doing it. If you were like, I don't know. If video game designers took this into account, you could get away with like having lots of detail in the uh, lots of pixels in the place where all the action's happening mm, and not yeah. many pixels. That's sort of how um, video compression stuff. works, I'm pretty sure, particularly with streaming sites like YouTube and Netflix and that sort of thing. Um, I wonder if they got inspired by that. Yeah, I wonder. Because they do it with, um, like, you'll, you'll notice if you've ever watched um, 
I don't know, do, do both of you guys watch Game of Thrones or have you seen the latest season of Game of Thrones? I have seen yep. it, yeah. So whether you watch that through a streaming service or whether you obtained it by slightly more nefarious means, the point <laughs> is if you're watching no a, a, a more low-res compressed quality of it, even if you're watching it through a streaming site like Netflix, it's going to be a compressed file. That's how they're able to stream of it. Of course. Any scene that's like darker in that because there's less information in darker parts of video files they kind of cut their losses and they put less video information in that so quite often they'll just be holding some pixels there rather than like coming up with the new things all the time otherwise it's going to be so much needless data than you know what most people are actually viewing so i found it when i was watching um one of the episodes from the later seasons of game of thrones where it was a very very dark battle scene there was a lot of stuff going on in the sky and i found it looked like utter shit because the compressed file i was watching it was just all pixels or something like that yeah now if you had like yeah if you had like the blu-ray of that that or something where it was like an uncompressed file you'd see everything in the darkness super super crisp quality or like that because it's taking these bits that normally in a video when it's dark you know the shadows off to the side bits where you're not going to be seeing the computer it's like Mm. oh let's cut our losses we don't need these pixels here let's just yeet them off but it was doing that for this scene that it probably needed them. Huh. So, you know, really yeah, high lit scenes, they're going to look great, but dark scenes are going to look like shit in a compressed file because, hmm. yeah, that's why Blu-rays are going to look better than a streamed thing because usually like they don't to... cut out as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I imagine that's yeah. what they're doing with the, the the simulation thing, cutting their losses with the bits that you're not going to be really looking down with a magnifying glass unless you're zooming in on that bit and then they'll add in that resolution. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just like that. That's a really good analogy. I'm just wondering now whether or not they did that on purpose to like try to discourage people from uh, illegally downloading their episodes Maybe. and sell more Blu-rays. But even if you even if you streamed them, like streamed the episodes on authorized streaming sites, like what was it? It was Foxtel. Foxtel Go was mm. playing it. Um, <clears throat> we watched it through Foxtel Go, and it was still yeah. Or shit. if you're overseas, <laughs> HBO Go, yeah, I think is the crap. streaming site. It's officially um, on. Cool. today. So, we're going to be talking to you about the dark episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> 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 so yeah, an- another thing that's probably worth mentioning is um, when you are building simulations, size and resolution is a major trade-off, mm. right? Because like um, the more individual particles you have to simulate, um, mm-hmm. the the more the, the better your computer has to be, the more storage you need, the more time it's going to take, the more money it's going to take. Mm. So um, if you want a really big simulation, you use really big particles. If you want really small simulation, you use really small particles. Um, so, for example, I've got a colleague who works simulating galaxy globular clusters, which are collections of about a million stars that are all tied together in a nice little glowing ball. Look them up on Google Images if, you're, uh, cool. if you're listening. They're really pretty. But for him, because there's only, only a million stars, um, <laughs> the best simulations can have every single star moving around mm. under their own gravity with collisions and black holes being born and all this fun stuff. That's that must need a chunky-ass computer to run. Oh, yeah. So um, the computer I use uh, does not do any of it. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I have um, I basically secure shell into a computing cluster that I think Melbourne Uni keeps in a basement somewhere. I've never visited it. I just yeah. use it. <laughs> but um, it's, basi- it's really cool. Basically, you like type in what looks like an email address. You press send. And you email through a copy of yourself into this other computer. 
A copy of yourself. Yeah, and then you can kind of like touch things, move things around, use its massive processing programs. Oh, kind of like it's really good when at... you do remote controlling of someone else's computer. Yeah, yeah. it's oh, exactly that. Yeah. Remote yeah. controlling their cluster computers, um, taking a few nodes of that, um, and saying, okay, I need uh, one day of time to figure out how this part of this model works. Here's all my data, <laughs> which you can store, because you also need like, I think at the moment I'm using 200 terabytes of storage. Oh, it's a small amount. Oh. Yeah, just a small amount. It's like hooking up to the cloud, but for science. <laughs> how <laughs> yeah. much would this like computer cluster be worth? Uh, I don't know. How much you is 100 computers know. worth? <laughs> 100 high-powered physics yeah. computers. Yeah. yeah. I don't, don't want to know. I do yeah. actually. But I very like, much want to know. People share it. Like that's the other thing. Yeah, so yeah. like um I know that Swinburne's got a really great computing cluster that they mm. kind of let us Melbourne people on. These are all just words to It's sort of well, <laughs> I how I'm imagining it is similar to like servers. If you're playing like a video game or something, an online video game, you're connecting to a larger server overall that's hosting all the players and running the actual game. Um and it's all kind of going from there, right? Pretty much. So yeah, I've basically got um we each kind of like there's like a queue of jobs and you can like submit a job to this queue. You'll be allocated a certain number of nodes for like the time that you've requested that you use it. If you requested too much time and you go over your time limit, it cuts you off. Ah, um, cheeky. That's happened. Mm, um, Mid-experiment? Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. So yeah. I just, you know, re-ran it and said, instead, give me 10 days worth of time. <laughs> mm, that's it, it could be yeah. related. It could be unrelated, but it's a bit of a tangent. It reminds me of... Um, something I heard about recently that Google tried to pull. So a video game thing, right? But rather than releasing it as a whole console, what it is, it's server-based. So the idea is you can run any sort of high-powered AAA game that would normally require either a really chunky console or a really chunky PC, mm. but you could just play it off your mobile phone, you could play it on your tablet, you could play oh. it or anything like that. And where the games are actually run is the big chunky Google servers themselves. That's so cool. you just idea. use your well, phone to connect. If you've got a good internet That's the problem. That's <laughs> the problem. The the, yeah. the console is only as good as your internet connection. So for a lot of people, they were having a really good time with it because they mm. happen to be close to the server or they happen to have a really good internet connection. But for so, so many people, mm. it didn't work out because their internet connection was really shitty or something like that. Um, so mm. overall, I, I can't even remember what it was called and I didn't even hear about this on launch. The only time I heard about it was when I watched a video on it and how it flopped. So ultimately ended up flopping because for the majority of people it didn't work out because it's so dependent on what your internet connection is but yeah there you go i guess i don't know is it a similar concept to that it's a similar concept yeah but we don't have that problem because we don't need to do things immediately right if i press queue this job and there's a two second delay between me queuing the job and the job being added to the queue mm. I don't care. It's an eight-hour simulation I'm trying to run. What's two seconds? Mm. Whereas, like, in a video game, a two-second lag. It's death. It's huge, especially if you're yeah. doing, like, online person v person stuff where milliseconds no, yeah. matter. No. Like, that yeah, is no. True. Yeah, what other questions have you got? Is the Matrix real? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> no, not yes it. in the answer. It's like, yes, I was expecting this question. <laughs> I mean, we can't have coming. someone on talking about simulations. We go into a philosophical tangent and we can't bring up the matrix. Like, That's are true. we living in a simulation? Are we living in a simulation? Uh, thoughts? Opinions? See, now I remember learning about this in high school and it being like a whole big thing. And I was very strongly of the opinion, I don't 
think it matters yeah. nor do I care. I don't this care. could be a simulation or this could be real. Like my brain could be plugged into a battery right mm. now, but like I still feel the emotions that I feel when I act out my day-to-day life. You know, if if something happens, if someone dies, I'm going to feel grief. If someone, you know, this my life feels real to me. So if it is quote unquote real or not, like why do I personally care? I don't. I'm still just going to live my life the same way and to the best of my ability, you know, to try to maximize positive emotions, minimize negative ones. I don't care if it's real. Like, you know, I'm, I'm already a brain in a skin sack. <laughs> like that's kind of a matrix in and of itself, right? Like consciousness is just housed within yeah. this like weird thing we call a body. Like if that body is also then housed in a matrix-esque battery system, like whatever. That answer makes know, me just, those are my really thoughts, happy but... because it gives me an excuse to bring up something. It's a philosophical belief that I weave into conversation anytime philosophy gets brought up. <laughs> and now I have a chance to bring it up on our podcast. Oh, gosh. Epistemological solipsism. That, that, oh, don't bring up solipsism. Well, that pretty much What's is what it solipsism? is. Well, solipsism is basically just like the whole, I guess, brain in a vat thing. It's just the... Mm. Solipsism on its own yeah, is the, the idea. Only... Yeah, you are anything outside of what you can directly observe ceases to exist, isn't real. Or and epistemological solipsism, epistemology being the philosophical study of knowledge, the idea of we can never truly know whether or not what we observe does continue to exist when we stop observing it, so it doesn't matter. You know, just so keep living your life. Basically of... what Kate was just saying, you know, mm. it doesn't matter. Why should we care? We're going to keep living our lives anyway. I thought that was a very good optimistic description of it. Because mm. um, it can, like solipsism and that that whole sort of philosophy can be taken very negatively. It's, it can yeah. often have a very nihilistic view on it, but yeah. I think it doesn't um, necessarily But I like to think to. that the way I... Sorry, I, I think it doesn't that? necessarily have to have that negative spin. No, exactly. Yeah. I like to think the way that I approach life with that view is not really depressing. It's more, I don't know. Yeah. yeah so you both just nicely like dodged the question and jumped to the happy fun part at the end where you're like, it doesn't matter. Okay, don't worry well, about like, it. Okay. Humor me. Why not? Let's okay, jump in. Let's jump in. Sorry. Let's, Scientist Ben, no. are we in the matrix? Let's just, let's just hear the argument from like the person who did it. Um, Nick Bolstrom. Um, weird guy thinks a lot about like the future and what it means that we're approaching it and like Mm -hmm. AIs and like, will they uprise? And Elon Musk loves his books. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically his argument was that computers keep getting better over time. Mm -hmm. um, And that in time, maybe one day we might want to simulate the past or old societies. Cause why not? You know, we might get bored. And then they were saying, you know, if you believe that like, you know, Consciousness is just a bunch of like things connected together and mm-hmm. it just arises organically from that. If these computers are good enough, could the uh, ancestors in this simulation be conscious? Mm. Mm. There's a whole, there's a long, so computers might be getting better, but we kind of touched on this last episode when we we're talking about hypnosis, but like there's a long way to go before we understand consciousness and yeah. therefore can simulate consciousness. Like, we are speaking from the, like, neuroscience community's perspective. We're a long way from understanding it enough to simulate it, I would think. Consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a long way away. But then his argument was, like, it's far future. So then Mm. one of these three three things must be true. Number one, well, we will die before we get really good at computer simulations. 
Well, we will, but uh, the, like, hopefully, well, humanity. actually, oh, um, okay, humanity will die. Well, maybe, the way, the way, Skynet. Option two. Go on. <laughs> Option two, uh, people in the future will have no desire to make ancestor simulations and simulate their past. That feels unlikely. But yeah, after this whole conversation, they fucking might. <laughs> um, and option three, uh, because simulations are run tens of thousands of times and all this kind of stuff, mm. um, probably uh, there would be more people who think that they are conscious at this time than are conscious at this time. And so odds are we're in a simulation. True, because there are more simulations than there are actual universes. So statistically speaking, Mm. it's more likely for us to be in one of those many simulations than the real universe itself. Kate, you look visibly uncomfortable. (laughs) I talk a big talk about not caring, (laughs) but suddenly you bring up this, this concept that statistically it is probable that life is a simulation right now and i'm like all of a sudden uncomfortable with that yeah why i don't know because i've been so vehemently (laughs) like it doesn't matter i want to feel good so i'm gonna go feel good but now i'm like oh but what if real though (laughs) yeah like it suddenly changes everything yeah so luckily i do have some good news good um there are some ways that people have thought of like you know testing whether or not we live in a simulation or not Mm. um and one of the things that is really, really hard for computer simulations to do is things that are on like the quantum scale. When you deal with really small things, it's like really hard to predict how they behave. And there are certain effects that we have observed um, happening with like large sheets of particles, Mm. um, like a hundred particles, which Mm. doesn't sound much, but apparently to uh, simulate a hundred particles doing this, you would need a computer that is built of more atoms than are currently in the universe. Okay. To calculate how this actually like goes forward. If, you know, the computers in the future are similar to the computers in the past, then like, you know, this is probably. Mm. But then there's like the other thing that people say is that like if there was some like if we were just simulated, there is no guarantee that the rules of physics in that universe are the same as the rules of physics in this universe. Oh, but now you're just getting off. I suppose that, <laughs> that feels like cheating, you when know. When you get to that stage, it's no longer science and it's more just philosophy science and speculation fiction. and you know yeah, you can yeah, you can it's so. stuff that at this moment in time we don't have the variables or the information to form any sort of conclusive answer it's just us coming up with our best guesses based on not what even we know. it's worse than that it's not testable yeah. It's not testable, yeah. it's not science. But it's simulatable? Yeah. It wouldn't, you can only simulation simulate it. Simulation inside a simulation. <laughs> we it's can... Rick and Morty, we've come full circle. Oh no, <laughs> the circle. <laughs> it's so full. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, does it matter? There are some people who are like, if we're in a simulation, then we should all like do our best to be interesting, to make sure that the person running the simulation doesn't turn us off, but, like, we don't know what they want but if also, they exist. surely if we're a simulation and we get turned off, like, that's that's it. Like, we wouldn't feel... <laughs> you wouldn't no, suffer. Exactly. They're not going to, like, pull the fire lever. <laughs> that's my point, right? Like, if we got turned off, we wouldn't know. So we wouldn't care. They're so going to put matter. you in the pool and take away the ladder. <laughs> 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 oh no, no i'm a sick but yeah no it's scary it's scary it's not scary it's not a thing but also like there are other theories that are like if we're in a simulation then we shouldn't go about trying to test if we're in a simulation or not because 
if we find out that we are in a simulation, we're self-aware, they're going to shut us off. And I'm like, no, they fucking Not won't. Necessarily. If I was in a, if a, a self-aware simulation that knew oh, that yeah. I existed, I'd keep that shit going. That's true. <laughs> that's that's actually very well. It's like that episode of um, Black Mirror where they had the where that Miley Cyrus was in, and they had the little Miley Cyrus doll. I don't know if you've. Seen I haven't, that. but I know of the episode. And Did they pretty much recreated it? her in the in the doll, but then the doll became sentient and could interact with. Anyway, I'm doing a very bad job of explaining it. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone that actually wants to watch it. Um, cool. uh, but it, that it's it, it's a similar thing. It's like a, it's a simulation of a human being that becomes then like able to like fuck you. Have you guys yeah. ever heard no. of the thought experiment, the Chinese room paradox, or something like that? Yes. I don't know. Well, uh, my my understanding of it it it's a thought experiment that someone proposed a while ago that posits the thought idea. Experiments do tend to come from that's people. That's true. Yes. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> often if we are, it's about AI, right? Cause that's basically what this simulated consciousness well, is actually. AI, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that if we've created a simulated AI, a, a simulated consciousness, we can never really know for sure if that is actually conscious or sentient or whether it's just doing a really good job at pretending to be. Um, the thought experiment is that there is a box and you can mm-hmm. input it words in English and then it will spit you out stuff in Chinese. I, I believe that's sort of how it goes, right? So okay. you could, you know, you could give it whole sentences, you can give it whole books, you can give it whole conversations and it will be able to translate everything for you into Chinese. So something that mm-hmm. you could draw from this is the idea that the box knows how to speak Chinese. The box knows how to speak English. However, inside the box is a man does not know a lick of Chinese. And I guess you could just say that he doesn't know a lick of English either. All he has with him is an English to Chinese translator mm. book. And every yeah. single word that he does, and I, we, I guess we could say it's a very sophisticated translator book that knows how to translate idioms and um, grammatical yeah. sentences and that sort of stuff as well. And all he's doing is he's looking at the input, he's translating it to the output just by following it. He's not absorbing any of this information and he's just putting the output back, creating the illusion from Mm -hmm. the outside that this box does in fact know Chinese, that it is conscious, but in actuality the box is just pretending to know how to speak Chinese and we'll never be able to know what's actually going on there. So I guess that's the same idea with AIs and simulating consciousness. We'll never know whether or not they're actually being self-aware or actually being conscious or whether they're just really good at pretending to be. Because I guess, like you're saying from a neuroscience perspective, we don't know what consciousness is yet from a scientific perspective, you know? I feel like this is probably way too off track already. Oh, let's just keep going. You know, Um, we've got like an hour of content. Yeah, you'll have to make some creative decisions regarding this. Let's keep going um, down the rabbit hole. Cut out the box. Cut out the man. Is the book conscious? I mean, no, 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 not is the book conscious. Does the books know how to speak Chinese? If it can translate any English phrase into any Chinese phrase, Mm. surely does that, is that thinking? Is that counting? Like, that's the same question, right? A computer is like a tool that we can use to understand the universe, right? A book is a tool that we can use to understand the universe. True. Mm. But the tool is useless without us doing anything with it. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper sitting there, you know? Or a piece of so silicone and electricity sitting mm. there. It's useless yeah. unless we give it the inputs and the outputs and we derive the meaning from it, you know? Yeah. 
Otherwise, it's just fancy-looking paper. This has gotten very philosophical for what is supposedly a science podcast, but I'm down. There was some science at the start. I feel like we're just loosening up now. We're just going to keep going. It's still <laughs> That's all right. I was going to say we can we can <laughs> shuffle across to the. To the oh, I'll, I'll give you one more. Yeah, give us one. Um, wanna, go on. So, give like, there's more. another idea. I talked to you about the view way back, like 30 minutes ago, about um. Uh, how you can view a simulation. You can view a simulation as a real experiment if you think of like the relations between objects as a definition of the object itself. Right. There is another um, way of interpreting it, and that's kind of like in physics, we often do these things, thought experiments, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, I'm standing on the side of the building, I'm holding a bowling ball in one hand and a tennis ball in the other hand. I drop them both at the same time. Which one hits the ground first? And that's oh, like, was that a question that we're meant to answer? No, no, <laughs> Galileo did ball. this. I don't know. Yeah, same time. Actually, I knew that. Yeah, gravity works the same on different objects. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I've just like discredited myself as the physics resident person. science no, it's fine. person of the show. <laughs> just not the physics person. <laughs> I'm the resident science person now. <laughs> Bow right, down to your it. new master. So, ladies and gentlemen, this will be my last episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. Benji will be taking over my Welcome role. To the Ben and Show. No. Anyway, like, um, you can think of that as, like, a thought experiment. And if instead you were changing the rules, so instead of two objects being dropped from a building, let's say, let's imagine one million stars floating around in space interacting under gravity. That's a very easy thing for me to imagine. Not for me. But for a computer, it's a really easy thing for them to do a thought experiment of. Mm. So you can think of, like, a simulation as a thought experiment where the computer is doing the thinking. Ah. And if you take that view, then all of a sudden simulations are just theory and they're not experiments. But then other people are like, no, but you don't know what's going to come out of them until you do them. So they are experiments. I mean, we don't know what's going to come out of our thoughts until we think them. (laughs) Am I wrong? That's a good point said really dumbly. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer to think of it as lay speak. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm the layman of the show and I will phrase it how I want. Sorry, that was my Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what, Go on. What's the word for racist for people from Perth? <laughs> That's my Perth accent. Oh, wow, okay, <laughs> Sorry, we're going to turn Perth this into people. an East vs. West thing, are we? <laughs> uh, listen uh, to question. Listen to question, guys. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay, so before this descends into utter, utter chaos, I'm going to shuffle us across to the list. I think that's wise. We we need some authority. I think that's very sensible. We need some authority before this becomes anarchy. I feel like we're already a little too late, but... I'd say we're less anarchistic and more just unchecked libertarian. (laughs) If you must label us. I must. So, listener question. We had a listener question from Tim. Um, Tim had a really cool question, actually, about the physical limits of the human body. So we're, we're, we're shifting away from space, zooming back in on, on the human body now, and, and looking at the, the human, sorry, the physical limits of the human body under extreme circumstances. So, like, specifically what he wrote was, we hear all the time that athletes are at the peak of their physical performance, but then you hear about cases like a 15-year-old daughter lifting a car that has fallen and trapped her father. It raises the question of how far bodies can be pushed and the limits of our fight-or-flight response in responding to situations. So we've all heard these, like, stories, right, about, like... You know, under high pressure situations, someone will lift a car off a human or do something crazy like that. Or like in war, you know, soldiers will lift ridiculous, you know, they'll get these almost superhuman things and, and be able to do that. Mm. We've, we've all yeah, heard of that, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes yeah, no? Yeah. You're looking I've heard blank. Of it. 
<laughs> is it real? I don't know if it's real or not. Yeah, so it is. It, it's this thing called hysterical strength. Is the is the official term for what um, what Tim's talking about? Sounds and, hysterical. Yeah, and it's defined. <laughs> Because I, too, look up definitions. Um, <laughs> it's defined as the extreme or the superhuman strength that, yeah, people demonstrate in life or death situations. And and to an extent it's a real thing, but it's also very sensationalised by the media. Of course. So the basic premise is that, you know, the fear and the pressure of these life and death, death situations um, somehow, you know, give the person these super abilities beyond their normal possible strength. And of course the media is going to like eat that shit up, right? Like we as, you know, a world at the moment are obsessed with superhero movies. Like there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC Cinematic Universe. That like, doesn't count. There's a Marvel just, Cinematic yeah, Universe. We love superheroes though, right? <laughs> we'll eat up anything superhero. So if like a journalist can report someone doing something similar to that of a superpower, like... You know, Incredible great, amazing. Scene. You've got a hook. And, like, there are heaps of stories about this. And I, I couldn't find this one about the 15-year-old girl that Tim mentioned in his in his email. Um, but I did find one that was the, a very well-documented case. Um, it happened in 2006 in Arizona. Those are not important facts, but facts that I thought I would give you anyway. Um, and so the story essentially goes like this. So there's a guy and, and he witnesses a cyclist getting hit by a car and gets like pinned underneath the car. And upon, you know, hearing these cries of distress and seeing the cyclist, the guy rushes over and lifts a 3,000 pound, so that's 1,400 kilograms, oh. 1,400 car, off of this person for a full minute um, so that the cyclist can be dragged out. So that's this is how the media reported it. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, these things are kind of – there, there are facts in there, right? The car did weigh that amount. Mm-hmm. The guy, the cyclist, was rescued. The guy did do a deadlift and, and lift the car. But there's, there's a few important facts to note here. So, first of all, the guy, um, whose name was Tom Boyle Jr., Thought I'd give him some credit because it's still a pretty good thing. He rescued a cyclist. Um, But he was an experienced weightlifter and he reported that he could deadlift up to about 320 kilos. So obviously that's not still, that's that's still not the full weight of the car, the 1400 kilos, but But that's, that's not a, that's not a deadlift weight to be coughed at. Like the guy can lift. And then the second, the second factor is, is, is physics, right? Leverage. Yeah, that's he what I didn't was thinking, pick up right? the car like a deadlift, you just like a standard lean deadlift. Lean it on two of its wheels. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and and so the weight is going to be distributed across the two or three wheels that are still on the ground. And plus, you're only lifting the car up like a couple inches, like enough for the cyclist yeah, to be dragged head, out. Like he's not doing a full. But of course, you know, you don't. The way the media spins these stories is that you kind of you leave those bits out. Um, so claiming he lifted, you know, the giant car is is definitely misleading. However. That is not to say that there is no science in this whatsoever, because there are actually things that can make us, they can't make us stronger than our, you know, full potential, and that's going to differ for everyone, right? So, like, a, a weight weightlifter, sure. well, a well-trained weightlifter <clears throat> with, with trained muscles is, is going to be able to lift more than, like, a frail 80-year-old woman who has, you know, been sedentary for most of the last however many years, right? Um, but... There are there is some science that can can explain why in these high pressure extreme life and death situations it seems like we gain strength, and 
like it's it's worth noting that this actually does happen in trained athletes as well. So like you know, there's a reason why world world records are broken at places like the Olympics and stuff. Mm. Events where the athletes are under the most pressure to perform, that's when they're going to perform better. And that's True. where the world records are broken. They're not broken in training. They're not yeah. broken at miniature events. They're broken at the big high pressure events. And that's because when your body is under pressure, a few different things happen. So I'm just going to, I'm going to break it down. So what happens when you're under a lot of pressure or you're under a lot of stress or you're in a life deafened situation, your brain sends signals to your adrenal, gl- adrenal glands to release a couple of hormones. So it releases adrenaline, first of all, and cortisol. So what adrenaline does is adrenaline makes your heart rate go up and increases your respiration. So essentially what it does, it, it allows more oxygen to get pumped to your muscles. It's fight. It's flight. It's adrenaline. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fight or flight is your sympathetic nervous system, which like adrenaline does play a very big role in. And then cortisol is another stress hormone. And what it does is it increases the amount of glucose in the blood. So so sugar, essentially energy. So you can get more oxygen and you can get more energy to your muscles. And then a third thing happens is that your body starts producing and releasing endocannabinoids. So that's essentially like, you know, cannabinoids, they're, they're, part of cannabis, marijuana. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why medical marijuana is used is as an analgesic, as an anti-pain thing. So are you saying that weed makes you stronger? No, I'm saying that weed makes you feel less pain, right? Okay. And so, and we have the ability, our bodies have the ability to produce what are called endocannabinoids, which fit the same receptors as cannabis that you smoke, right? And, And plays this role of making you feel less pain. So when you're stressed, you're getting more oxygen to your muscles, you're getting more energy to your muscles, and also you're feeling less pain. Sure. So, so the guy who was probably lifting that car didn't even feel it. Like, well, he well, definitely felt it less definitely than felt if he was in, you know, right. just at the gym in a, in a chill situation, right? Yeah, yeah is that exactly. the endocannabinoids there? Uh, and endocannabinoids, and also we can make endogenous opioids um, mm. to regulate uh, pain at the at the source of pain. Our bodies are our bodies are making drugs left, right, and center. Like we don't even need to take them recreationally. Like our bodies make this stuff. I'm high on pain. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That's though. the anthem well, of Generation okay. Z. No, but like, seriously, you laugh about that, but that is that is why self harm is an addiction. Like oh, literally, shit. people get addicted to self harm because of the release of these you know chemicals in our body that ultimately help us feel Holy good shit. yeah i'm learning stuff oh yeah <laughs> good i hope so yeah this is great um, yeah. i love this and so like our bodies are really cool and so yeah it is a thing but it's not as much of a thing as the media would like to make you think that it is if that makes sense so in terms of like coming back to tim's actual question of like Human you know body can you chuck a non-athlete into a life or death situation and will they perform better than than a trained athlete? It's like, well, no, you can chuck if you chucked that say a trained athlete into that same life or death situation, they would probably perform better than the average Joe. But the addition of stress to any given situation will increase what you can do. But there's there's like there's still a limit to it, right? It's not going to give you powers that you don't have. It just it's it's kind of like that that stupid myth that we like to shit on about, you know, only using ten percent of your brain, and if you unlock it all, you're amazing. So generally, in our day to day like weightlifting life, we'll only use about sixty five percent of our like muscle fibers. Mm. And the reason for this is is the body likes to protect itself. We've got these protective measures, and if we used hundred percent of our muscles all the time, you risk yeah exactly you risk breaking ligaments and tendons and whatever and like so it's a safety 
precaution. And so essentially what a stressful situation does is that it it goes throws the safety precaution to the wind. It it you know takes the child lock off of our muscles and lets us use our full potential. Um yeah. And that's so that's that's what this hysterical strength thing is. And it is real. Um and and you know, but unfortunately like it's not something we can study super easily in the lab. I was going to say, yeah, like, it's not, not really ethical. Not at all. To, like, throw some well-known athletes into life or death situations. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, the evidence that we have is, like, purely anecdotal coming from these situations that have arisen and also from our... Like, we can study, similar to your simulations, mm. right? We can study the stress response in the body. Yeah. Um, and then we can infer from what we know about, you know, the increased adrenaline, the increased cortisol, the endocannabinoids. And from that, we can infer that this combination of things, if someone was in a life or death situation, would make them stronger, more motivated, fitter, faster, super powered, whatever. But yeah, we, there's no rigorous scientific way to test could this without um, breaking a ton of ethical rules. Well, could so. an ethical way around it be if we feel we've reasonably determined what chemicals are involved in inciting these responses, like you were saying, the adrenaline, the cortisol, and the mm. endocannabinoids. If you got, like, a hella fucking Ooh, juiced up EpiPen that had the adrenaline, but also had the, the cortisol and the endocannabinoids. Make it go for a run. Yeah, be like, hey man, take some of this, try lift that, let's see mm. what happens. I mean... See, so the problem with... I don't, I don't know... I assume that if that was a thing that we could ethically do, people would have done it um, and they haven't. So I think the reason is like the other thing, when you give someone like drugs or, or um, you know, a, a version, a synthetic version of a hormone externally, the way the body processes it is going to be different to the way it was produced internally. Mm. Because if it's produced in the adrenal glands and then distributes itself that way, that's going to be different to if it, if it enters another way. And that's mm. like, you know, we have that problem with, so with Parkinson's disease, the medication that we use to treat Parkinson's disease, the problem is, is that it can't cross the blood brain uh, barrier. So you need needles so you, straight into the brain. No. So what they do, no? someone really clever came up with a solution where they, you the drug you actually take for Parkinson's disease is a precursor oh. to the thing that you actually need. And that can it can cross the, the blood brain barrier, mm. and then the enzymes within the brain convert it to the drug that it actually needs to be, and then you get the treatment. Mm. So there are clever people out there working solutions, but these are the sorts of things that need to be overcome before we can start just like injecting people with random shit and see what happens. <laughs> That's not how science is <laughs> being anymore, sadly. And also, it's not a very pleasant combination. Like if you get a hit of like adrenaline and cortisol and like things that replicate a stressful situation like that's not going to feel good for the person like i don't know how many people are going to sign up to feel Have like some anxiety that. in a bottle yeah <laughs> like well that's what it is i don't think you could get ethics to even recreate the internal situation of Ooh. an emergency right because that would be fucking horrible <laughs> i don't know you're talking about the blood brain blood, blood, blood brain, brain barrier, barrier. you're yes. talking about um athletes and doping you're talking about things that can't cross it. Here is my question to you. Okay. If you injected straight into the mind parts. Straight um, into the what? Straight into the, the squishy bits. Straight into right the neural in the old brain hole. Okay, so we're talking about it. A- right in the adrenal gland. If you injected that with like um, some hormones that would make someone better at running and also couldn't cross the blood-brain barrier, would they just stay in the brain and not be detectable in a drug test? Wait. So if you injected something into the brain, like does the blood-brain barrier work both ways? Are things in the oh, brain? Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, but 
if you're injecting someone something to make them run better, you need it to get to the muscles. Yeah. So it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be useless stuck in the brain. Oh. Second of all, the actual, like, you know, surgery required to get something injected that deep into the brain is definitely going to hinder your um, athletic performance for a good amount of time. <laughs> yeah, you can just cut this bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. No. This question. I love this. I had an idea. <laughs> it didn't no, work. I had my dumb moment earlier. You can have your dumb moment now. It's reasonable. Um, I had my dumb moment too. We can all be so dumb together. I think it's been a well-rounded episode where we've all been slightly smart sometimes and we've all been very dumb at other we've times. certainly and gone off the rails a number of times is, is, but i still think we've you know, we've definitely covered the topic of simulations pretty well it's hard to go down yeah. that rabbit hole without being a little bit philosophical yeah yeah you did this on purpose. i was gonna choose topology and not theory but that's really bad in a medium that's not visual yeah, yeah. Like, it just sucks <laughs> But no, nah, I think I think this has been good. This has been a lot of fun, and like I really hope you guys have enjoyed listening to it too. Remember, you can hit us up on um, curiosityrat at gmail if you want to send through a listener question, and and we'll do our best to to shoot it an answer. Um, you can also find us on any of our socials at curiosityrat on um, Instagram, Twitter, or Curiosity Killed the Rat on Facebook. Uh, Benji, is there any, do you want to plug anything of your own that uh, you want people to know about? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Catch me on archive. That's where my paper's going to be once I've finished it. Um, I feel like what am I going to say? Our main audience wouldn't be able to read. Do you have like a, a Twitter like or an Instagram or a Facebook that you... Shout out to Skyhopper. Skyhopper, yeah, that's my little um, my supervisor's making a tiny t- space telescope. Oh, nice! Um, but it's not really much that the listeners need to know about that. No. This episode, I mean, maybe another episode. And with that, like, thanks for listening, guys, and thanks for coming along, Benji. I hope you, I hope you had a blast talking shit with us. No, this um, is great. I'll do this for free anytime. Yes, <laughs> good because we're not paying you. Oh. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward pause where it's like, oh, there has been a drastic misunderstanding. I have made we'll take you in pizza. Error. We can order pizza. Works for well, me. I don't get pizza. Oh. No, sorry, Matt. It's Come. a long Uber Eats. <laughs> Come to Melbourne and I'll buy you pizza too. Uh, look, I mean, if I'm buying a flight, I might just buy the pizza myself. Yeah, look, it's cheaper Pizza option. on the flight. <laughs> oh, shit. Aeroplane pizza. <laughs> Aeroplane, yeah, no. No, it doesn't Aeroplanes would find a way to ruin pizza. Oh, boy. Anyway, with that, I think we're done and we should stop ourselves before we just talk forever and ever and ever. (laughs) And we will catch you guys in a fortnight when we hit you up with episode six because we're on a roll and it ain't stopping anytime soon. Snowball effect. It's only going to get bigger and better from here. Self-pressure. Let's do it. Goodbye. Curiosity. Kill the rat.